0: What a great night to see all of you, to hear your voices raising up praise to God. It's always moving, always moving. Briefly tonight, we're gonna look at God's word, what he says about himself and what he says about his son, what he says about us. We start in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, Please pray with me. Father God, tonight, as we gather here with our brothers and sisters, we rejoice in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, our great and glorious triune God, for the gift of salvation and for our adoption into the family of God. You have loved us before we came to be, and you will continue to love us for all time to come. From everlasting to everlasting, you have set your affection on us, not because we deserved it, but solely because of your grace. You gave us Jesus Christ, and you gave us to him, that we might become one. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So there's a calm on Christmas Eve, it seems like, but it has an underlying anticipation, a sense of expectancy about it. We love to celebrate this holiday when our Lord was born, and at the same time, we long for his return. We sense the coming joy of seeing our Lord face to face. But what about the first time he came? What would it have been like to be an Israelite, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah? Every pregnant Israelite woman would wonder whether or not The child in her womb was a son, and if a son, he might be the Messiah. Sometimes the Israelites had a sense of anticipation and it was strong, but it wasn't always strong. At other times, their sense of expectancy was weak. When we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, we see a wonderful joy in those godly few, like the prophet Simon, and the prophetess Anna, when they first saw Jesus as a child in the temple, they had longed for the Messiah to arrive and they rejoiced to see him as we will rejoice when we see him, when he comes again. In this place of rest and expectancy, I would like us to consider three things, the magnitude of this event, the supremacy of the God-man Jesus, and the glory of God's gifts. What is the magnitude of this event? It was greater than the creation of the universe itself. This material universe is the stage created by God to display his glory. The God who is eternal and all powerful who made billions of galaxies, trillions of stars and planets beyond measure, chose our little planet to do what had never been done before and will not be repeated again. The second person of the triune God stepped into time and the physical universe as a human baby. Can you imagine those few moments before the event how the entire creation held its breath? These were things that angels longed to look into. Only a relatively few humans had heard or read the words of the prophets and those few couldn't imagine what it would really be like when it happened. Isaiah told them in 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, as Pastor Jeff said, God with us. Isaiah 53, 1-12 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And... To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised, and was esteemed, and they esteemed him not. Surely. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was laid the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Micah told them in Micah 5:2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah who are too little to be counted among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coal, the foal of the donkey. Zechariah 12 10 says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Many prophecies, many prophecies have happened. The prophecies about the Messiah were given to Israel. Some scholars believe that there are more than 300 prophecies. They're talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. Yet, even Jesus' own disciples couldn't understand what had happened until after Jesus had been raised. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the nexus of all time, all history, and of all physical and spiritual universe. Everything that we know is oriented to and measured by this event. Christ is referred to throughout the Bible from Genesis, where God said, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, Christ. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And it continues. Turn to Revelations where Christ says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end. There is no other event of this magnitude. And we, by God's grace, have become part of this. The supremacy of God-man Jesus Hebrews 1 through 14 attests to the deity of Christ. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens, and the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you, you are the same, and your years will have no end and to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for those the sake of those who are uh, to inherit salvation so jesus is not just a unique man like the uh, mormons think or the universalists or that kind of thing. He's not just a man. He's, you know, they say, well, he's so unique that he's just better than all other men. Well, yes, he is better than all other men, but more than that, he's God incarnate. Paul described Jesus in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Son of the Living God became a servant, and he chose to refer to himself as the Son of Man. This union of God and man, fully God and fully man, this amazing truth has captivated the hearts of men for centuries. I'd like to share with you a modern English paraphrase of something that Bishop Lancelot Andrews said once on a Christmas morning in 1606. Throughout Jesus' life, we see his divine nature and human nature. At his birth, you see a cradle for a child and a star for the divine son. The shepherds honor the baby boy. The choir of angels celebrate the birth of God's son. In his life, you see him hungry, showing his human nature, and yet still feeding the 5,000, showing his divine abilities. At his death, he dies on the cross like any man, and yet opens up paradise as only the Son of God could. Why are both of these natures found in one person? Because our nature has sinned, and therefore our humanity should suffer. That's the reason why the Savior was born as a human child. But even though our nature should, our nature could not bear it. It could not bear the weight of God's wrath due because of sin. But the Son of God could, and thus he was born the Son of Man. Either nature alone would not serve the divine purpose. They had to be joined, the child of humanity and the Son of God. One person with two natures. He is the one who loves us so much that He gave His life for us. The one who was so much a part of us that He retains His human form now and forever. Look at John 20, 24 through 29. Now Thomas, Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. After his resurrection. Jesus was seen by his disciples. He talked with them. He ate with them. They touched him. He was there. And Then he ascended into heaven with a glorified body. And now he sits in God's presence in his humanity. And he will return, the scripture says, in the same way as you saw him going to heaven in his humanity. In Acts 1, 9 through 11 of a servant, acting as a mediator between God and us. As a certainty, he took up a body, and he's keeping it. And to add to his blessing for us, Paul says in Philippians 3:20 20 through 21, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. How, how amazing is this? Jesus saves our souls, and then he provides us with a glorious body. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Paul tells us in Corinthians 3 and, 3 and 4, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. <sighs> appear with him in glory. Think about it every minute. It's so amazing. 2 Corinthians 4 17 through 18 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How marvelous is this? That we poor, wretched sinners are going to have the weight of glory. And not only to be saved and glorified, but to be one with the body of Christ for eternity. John 17, 23 says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. He loves us like he loved the Son. It is by his power and sacrifice that we will surely partake of the divine nature. Second Peter 1-3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Jesus Christ is ultimate, ultimate in every way nothing exceeds jesus christ he is god's ultimate gift to us and the glory of this gift how glorious is this gift among men in every society people desire to give gifts to other people generally to the people they love The person receiving the gift has an obligation to receive the gift with gratitude and humility. The person receiving the gift also feels an obligation to reciprocate a gift. We have that desire to give gifts. The obligation to receive them properly and the obligation to reciprocate. If we look at God's ultimate gift, it's much the same. From before time, God Our great triune God and His love desired this gift for us. Jude 1.25 says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Corinthians 2, 7, 8. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The purpose of our Savior, his purpose, his goal, is to bring glory to God yet in that process we mortal sinful humans are called saved and swept up into this glory and we have an obligation we have an obligation to God we have the greatest of all gifts and we must receive that with humility and gratitude It is the obligation of God's creation to give him all honor, praise, adoration, and glory that are due him, and solely because he is holy and the divine creator. How much more we owe him for Christ coming to save us and to bring us into his family. What an affront to God that anyone would refuse a gift like this. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what do we, mere humans, what do we have to give? What's going to please God? Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And in Corinthians 6.20 it says, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. In Hebrews 13:15 and 16 it says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have. For with such sacrifices, they are pleasing to God. We have an obligation to God, to love him, to obey him, and to give him glory. When all is said and done, all glory is God's alone. John said all things were made through him and without him. was well, not anything that was made, made. All glory came from God and will return to him. We here are blessed to be part of his great plan and the beneficiaries of his great gift. Praise the Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The glory is God's and not ours. Sola de gloria. In closing tonight, I'd like to leave you with one last thought. In Luke's account of that night, when the word became flesh, there was a moment that a word from God that had been repeated since the human race began in Genesis and will continue to Revelation, was spoken, this word was spoken to a group of shepherds. And it was, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Fear not. Now we know that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. He is all powerful, all knowing, capable of creating an entire universe. We should tremble before such a being just because of his overwhelming greatness. But at the same time, he is the God who loves us beyond all measure. He delights in his chosen ones and strengthens, comforts, and blesses us. We are afraid of many things. Just think of the last two years. Crime, governments, wars, sickness, or even our own mortality, we fear. God knows our weaknesses, and he reaches down to us and he reassures us of his love throughout the Bible. Genesis 15, one, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. In Genesis 21, 17, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And in Genesis 26-24, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Isaiah 41-10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Isaiah 41, uh, 43, 1. But now, thus saith the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Isaiah 44.2, 44.2, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jashuru, whom I have chosen. In Daniel 10.12, he says to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. In Daniel 10.19, and he said, O man greatly loved, Fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. In Haggai 2.5, according to the covenant that I made with you, when you first came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. In the New Testament, Luke 12.32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in Revelation it says, 1.17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. My brothers and sisters, you are the chosen. Fear not. Your God says that he rejoices over you with gladness. In all these things, he says, you are more than conquerors because of him. Nothing. Nothing, not life or death or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation. Anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this season, this Christmas Eve, let's return to our homes with love and thanksgiving in our hearts, giving praise and glory to our glorious God for all he has done and is doing. May we quiet our souls with his love and live in adoration and expectation of the time when we will see him face to face. Father God, we thank you with all our hearts for the wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We give you thanks and praise, honor and glory for your great love and compassion for us. We celebrate and stand in awe of the time when the second person of the Trinity, the maker of the universe stepped into time as Christ and as a human baby, the son of God and the son of man. I pray that our gratitude for your sacrifice and everlasting love would never diminish but always grow as your spirit leads us in sanctification. Father, bless your children here tonight and grant them peace that passes understanding. And if, by your calling, there is anyone here tonight who doesn't know you yet, we pray that they would turn to you and accept this most precious gift. Amen.